Welcome back to Jump Scare. I'm Betty. And I'm Chad. This week we're covering The Relic, or Relic? The Relic. (laughs) The Relic, (laughs) 1997. There are secrets better left unknown. And treasures better left undiscovered. In 1995, a scientific expedition found something that transforms myths into nightmares. Something that gives shape to fear and form to evil. Something as powerful as it is deadly. They should never have seen it. They should never have touched it. And then, they did the unthinkable. They brought it back. There's, like, either one other movie or multiple movies with Relic. Yeah, like, the one that came out last year is just called Relic to okay. separate it from The Relic. The Relic. Oh, that really separates it. Yeah, it does. Yeah, that that is really annoying when you're, like, categorizing films. Like, when you're alphabetizing them in, like, a store. Yeah. And sometimes whoever's doing it will do R for Relic and other people will do the T. Yeah. Because they're like, well, the is not the name of the title. The name of the movie is not the. It's Relic. And I'm like, I get it. And I agree with you. But it's supposed to be under T. <laughs> this film has recognizable faces. We have uh, Penelope Ann Miller and Linda Hunt, who coincidentally was also in another film with Penelope Ann Miller, which is one of my favorite films, Kindergarten Cop. Oh, yeah. Um, Linda Hunt was also in Dune. Oh, yes. Um, Penelope Ann Miller has been in a ton of shit. She was in the Pee Wee's Big Top. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. I haven't seen those in forever. Um, that's my favorite one, actually. Uh, Clayton Rahner, or Rainer. Uh, yeah, it's Rahner. Rahner, who was in April Fool's Day and I, Madman. Another. And you also might recognize him from the 80s movie, The Just One of the Guys. Mm, yes. He was in that. He was also in The Next Generation, too. These people do have done some things. Yeah, he's been around for a while. Recognizable faces. Uh, the novel for our Novel to Screen month is by Douglas Preston and Lincoln Child. Yeah, and they have done a ton of novels with uh, the character from The Relic, who was cut out of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> That's like... We're going to do a movie, uh, The Lost Symbol, one of those freaking Dan Brown books, but we're going to cut out like the Tom Hanks character. Yeah. Um, in this one, the character that's played by uh, Tom Sizemore, or Detective D'Augusta is his name, he takes, in the book, he had the role kind of that's being played by the Clayton Rahner, and they made up a whole role for Clayton Rahner that didn't exist in the book. Why not just change the names and call them different? You got me. But they decided to leave out the main character of the book, Agent Pendergast, 
who went on to be in 21 more novels by these guys. So they might have been a little sore about that. Stan Winston effects. Yep. And that's all I got about the movie. So <laughs> there you go. The end of the story. Um, just like any creature film, you always have to have where the creature came from. And usually it's going to be from a fucking crate that's from another country, right? That's like the yeah. basis. Yeah, never open up a crate that comes anywhere from Central America, South America, or anything. Like if it says on Antarctica, for God's sakes, run like hell because there's nothing good in that crate. I feel like any any other country, just don't open it. Yeah, because it's Especially not good Especially if it's like to a museum or to like a science laboratory or to a university, like in Creep Show. Yes. Spoiler alert: There's going to be something really, really fucking bad in the creep. Yep. Um, you know the Creep Show one always got me because why didn't they just throw that shit away? Why did they hide it behind a vent for all those years? Like who, who did that? I, don't, I never quite got that part of it. But anyhow, um, so this one, uh, you have a. Uh, ship at the beginning. Well, I'm sorry. We start off with a guy who he's at a village in uh, South America with these uh, with this native tribe, and he drinks this stuff, and they're participating in their ceremony. He's taking pictures of all of them, and then he, the next time we see him, he's freaking out on the dock, screaming, "Where are the crates? I need the crates. I have to have the crates." And they're like, "Yeah, we put those on the ship already." So he gets onto the ship only to find out that, whoops, they fucked up. They had put the wrong crates on there. And after the ship's already out of the harbor and in the ocean, he finds out, uh-oh, the crates are not here. Whenever you see him do the classic, like, fall down to your knees and scream, no, you know it's not going to be good. Yeah, I, I never understood, like, why would you do that to yourself? Like, why? I would have made sure. Like, he, he was pretty persistent and was bugging the guy about the crates. But I'm like, I show me where the fucking crates are. I don't care how long it's going to take. Show me where the crates are because yeah. I need to see where it is. And then, and the other thing, if you're a photographer, your main job is to take photos of the indigenous people... You know, the end. Do not participate in any fucking (laughs) rituals that may or may not be occurring during said time. Because it's not going to end well, okay? You are, and this is not me being whatever, literally that's what it is. He is the white man in this situation. I don't think they're like, oh, we're just going to give him a super fucking Kool-Aid. And and it's not like the, you know, Jim Jones Kool-Aid or whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's not the bad Kool-Aid. No, it's, you don't need to be involved. So don't get yourself involved. But he did. And he pays for it tremendously. Yeah. Now, this is the thing that was kind of weird about that. This is another Jason Takes Manhattan thing. Uh, you have the guy, like, he he's putting all this stuff on the ship coming up from South America. But... They changed the setting from the book. The book was the Natural History Museum in New York, which, of course, makes sense because you just hop on the fucking ship and go right up the East Coast, and you're there. But the movie takes place in Chicago. So how the boat ends up in Chicago is a little questionable. Like, did they go all the way up to Canada and then come down (laughs) to get to Chicago? Hello? 
it goes into like Neverland, like ship mode where it's flying. It just I, flew there. I guess that was a little off to me, but so then we have a few months later the uh, wait. The ship- hold on, I hate to, I hate to cut you off. We just want to say. That the reason why it wasn't the Museum of Natural History of New York was because the actual museum was like, no, bro, we're not interested in doing your movie. Like, we don't want to be a part of it. Goodbye. Yeah, we don't want people thinking there might be a monster in the Museum of Natural History that would eat people. And then Chicago was like, fuck yeah, come on over. Which is like, (laughs) who the fuck would think that? Like, who would think, oh, there's, like, today's people? Okay, yeah, there's going to be a fool who's going to think that. 1997 people? Man, they're not thinking that. That wasn't a thought that was going to cross anyone's head. Yeah, but... So you have... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was <laughs> I was going to go on a whole tangent, but I stopped myself. So, yes. Yeah, so now we have arrived to Chicago. And we the ship is empty, except for the bilge full of mutilated bodies, which never a good sign. Um, then we cut into the museum a little bit. We see that uh, these two kids have snuck into the museum... Which, I was like, well, these kids are dead. Because I remember in the book, yeah, the kids are dead. But then the movie, they trimmed it down a little bit. The kids did not get killed. Which is bullshit. They should have just killed the kids. Stay yeah. true to the novel. I mean, as much as you can, obviously. But you're supposed to begin the, 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 the breadcrumbs of horror. You led from, you know, the freaking ship down to the innocent children you know, who should have not been fucking trying to break through or sleep over the fucking... This is not Night at the Museum, which is based on a children's book, by the way. Yeah. Um, And that one is set in Museum of Natural History in New York. But nevertheless, that this is not the case. So then they don't get killed, which is annoying. They don't get killed, but they do end up finding the body of a uh, security guard that gets killed in there. He did not make it. This whole... From this point on, it's really... I mean, I know one of them, right? Uh, one of the writers, Lincoln Child, he does some legal stuff, no? What, not one of them do, like... They both do, like, sci-fi horror kind of things. Sci-fi You're horror? You're thinking of Lee Child that does the, like... Oh, yes, Lee Child. And you did tell me that when I was watching the movie, and I'm just stuck on the... The reason why is because it's just so fucking political. Like... From and political in the stance, not like governmental, but how it's you know, these scientists are trying to get grants, and there's the sponsors that are sponsoring the museum, and the pe- the police people can do their work, you know, efficiently and try to catch who they think is like a fucking serial killer, you know, or some kind of maniac on the loose because the museum has been working on this superstition exhibit for like however long like a year or some shit and people have put money into this the people of the city the mayor's involved it's like a whole thing that is like the whole movie it is jaws yes it's jaws the the shark is out there the shark is killing people but we don't want to close the beach and lose all the tourism business. It's the same kind of thing. The beaches are open. Look, come on down, people. Yeah. So it's the museum is open. Come on down, people. Despite the fact that they're finding bodies suspiciously, as they soon discover, the head. The reason all the heads are ripped off from these bodies is that someone is eating parts of the brain. Now, if this doesn't trigger, you know, if you've seen enough horror movies, you know that once something's eating someone's brain and a specific part of it. 
Something bad has happened to Was him. Was it the pituitary gland? Hypothalamus. The hypothalamus. Okay. I knew it was something. I think they ate part of the pituitary gland as well. And all that whole area was missing because it's hard to single that one little area out. So they just ate everything that was in that area. Yeah. That is uh, very specific. Like, that's what you have a taste for. That's intense. Now, this is a 90s movie that actually had the coroner in it. But he was not a wisecracking coroner eating sandwiches. He was actually just doing his job so this may have been the tipping point of when we went from the coroner eating sandwiches over the body in whispers to the coroner's actually wearing gloves and a fucking mask he's, like, he's a normal guy doing <laughs> he's his a job regular do- he's an actual doctor doing his job he's not having his girlfriend covered in uh dead makeup to have a sex scene no not like whispers nigga for the act you know no, no none of that none of that business but uh, So you know how this is going to go very quickly is that as soon as the exhibition starts, that's when this thing is going to drop out of the fucking woodwork and start eating people. There's no surprises there. There's a lot of pretty decent kills. Yeah, the, the effects are good because, of course, Stan Winston was doing this. And this was before the advent of really any kind of big CG was being used in movies a lot. So all this stuff was practical and, you know... Even though you don't see a lot of it, it's still better than the cheap CG monsters you see in the stuff now, you know? And they do the whole Jaws thing where they really don't reveal the monster until, like, the last, I don't know, 15 minutes of the Yeah, you just see the shadows of it and all this. And the screams. The screams and the shadows. And you figure out that this tribe, years ago, they used to use this stuff. They would give it to one of their... uh, members there well they would give it to one of their members and it would turn him into this monster that would go eat all the other tribes that they were at war with and then in order to keep him under control they fed him these like leaves that had these berries and stuff like this stuff growing on them which had the same the uh, like the decent amount of what you would find in the um, what was it? The pituitary, not the pituitary yeah. gland. Yeah. By eating these leaves, you satisfied that you didn't have to eat people's brains, basically, if you were eating these leaves. But they would starve the person, let them turn them loose on the village, let them eat this, eat you know, eat everybody in the village, and then in order to calm them down, they would feed them these leaves, or they would just starve them to death, whichever was more convenient. And this is like ancient folklore kind of thing that there's even a statue, you yeah. know, that. The Kolgatha or something like that. Yeah, that they had. And, you know, there's a older scientist that's like in a wheelchair. Yeah, it's played by that James Whitmore that was actually in Them. Yes. So he's all about... He's done some monster movies in his life. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and he's just... Exci- he's thrilled. He, he, of course, he's like, oh, man, this is messed up scenario. But what if this is true? Like, this would be amazing because this is something that was just a story we just thought that this was just a story just like all these other things that we have here in the museum where it's just like you know this is what the people believed in and it's just a rumor and a legend yeah and now it's true like he just kind of like is he's bewildered like, yeah he's like i i can't imagine and they figure out that like the creature is like part by eating this the person takes on like you get some like Kind of like a, you get like a lion DNA. You it becomes lizard, a chimera. Yeah, you get lizard, lion DNA. You've got a little bit of everything in there. Yeah, which I'm, the the monster is pretty, pretty crazy. Yeah, it's a crazy looking thing. And then 
of course, when this exhibit begins, you have the uh, the museum. I like how all these little museums, they always have this like amazing security system, like with the steel doors that drop down and everything. Yeah, yeah, they got artifacts in there. Like, that's just expensive. People with, those rich people that are living in the high rises and shit, they're like, oh, I must obtain this, you know, gem from South Africa that's, <laughs> you know, worth a bajillion dollars. Like, they want all that bullshit. Like, they want it in their house. So, yeah, <laughs> they're going to protect it. And meanwhile, if you actually investigate, it turns out the museum security is probably like an old guy with a flashlight walking around at night, and that's about it. Because you know that's how this shit always goes. You see this like advanced shit on the movies, and then when you actually find out, it's just an old guy walking around, locking the doors at night. It would probably be about it. But they, no, they had a very, very intense system that literally would lock down sections of the museum. Like, the whole thing. Even, like, the laboratories underground and shit, which is yeah. pretty intense. So, it doesn't take long for everybody to get locked in the museum with the creature. Thought. Now that I just thought I said that. Do you think... This is, this is a crazy thought. Do you think at any point they were like, one of these mummies might just fucking wake up? <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> Maybe they were trying to protect the... They weren't trying to protect the artifacts from the public. They were trying to protect the public from the artifacts. That might be. That'd be a hilarious twist in one of the movies. Have a guy, like, when they activate the security system, and he goes, why? And he goes, because evil shit. That's why. Yeah. We put it in just in case. We never thought we'd have to use it, but now we're having to use it. Let's talk about the exhibit that they want to ha um, that they're trying to do. Yeah. The superstition exhibit. Coolest fucking exhibit ever, okay? Yeah, it, I would love to go to this thing. It has the most gothic looking... I thought fucking Gary Oldman was going to come out on the fucking, like, the, the doubled hair with the fucking robe out of this fucking entrance <laughs> to the exhibit because it is just, like, a ginormous, like, gargoyled face which... It's a little the archway like the, is like the mouth. It's kind of like the Candyman painting, you know, in the yes. movie. Like the big, like distorted looking face and everything you have to walk through. And when you walk in, you have to walk under a ladder. Yes, and then under fucking umbrellas that are open. Yes. And you're like, no, I'm not doing that, okay? There's also a room that has like a giant shaker of salt turned over with like salt piled in front of it. So you have to either grab it and throw it over your shoulder. And Yeah, it's really fucking cool. But... This is why there was demise because they had so many stupid superstitions that they were fucking with that it was just like, your museum is cursed. Yeah, once you walked under the ladder, opened the umbrellas inside, did not throw the salt over you, and then the Kolgatha came falling down out of the ceiling to eat, you were fucked. That was it. There no, was that's no... what made it fucking come down the ceiling was all that other <laughs> shit. You were putting the bad juju out there. You were going against all the rules. And it was just like, this is what happens. This is what you get, people. This is why you don't fuck around with that sort of thing. I wonder if anyone that survived came away with that thought like, <laughs> I shouldn't have gone under that ladder. I shouldn't have walked in front of that black cat. Shouldn't have done these things. But uh, there's a great scene where they're like, they're trying to rescue the people. So they're like, well, we have a helicopter and a SWAT team. We'll just go through the, we'll, you know, we'll break out the glass on the top with the skylight. We'll come down in. And then that's when the Kogatha is like, cool, you're just lowering snacks right into me. This shit is amazing. He Put just eats the fucking SWAT team as they come down on the road. His mouth is just open. He's like, yes. There's a great scene where they pull one of the guys screaming, pull me up, pull me up, pull me up. And they pull him up. And they're like, oh, thank God we got you out of there. And they lift him up. And it's just half of him. Damn. Like, just bit clean in two. It's like, oh, shit. And 
They were lucky that thing didn't pop out through the roof and just hit the city, but they managed to avoid that somehow. But they uh, they take this thing, you know, they're all trying to get out. So you've got one of the Clayton Ronner. He's leading half the people out through the sewer tunnels to try and get across the street to safety. That works out about as well as you would think because, you know, dark sewer tunnels, half flooded with water, a creature that can sneak around in the dark very easily. Nah, nothing bad will happen there. To be fair, though, most of his people did make it out. A lot more than I expected. I didn't care for anyone in the film. <laughs> I wanted everyone to die. Yeah, they didn't go into a lot of depth with any of the characters on it. Everyone was kind of just... The only thing they ever really established about that lieutenant was he wanted custody of his dog, and he was very superstitious. They kept showing him like he would not pick up a penny, he wouldn't walk under the ladder, he wouldn't do the, any of these things. They went out of their way to show that, but that was really the only thing that they did in terms of character development. And like Penelope Ann Miller, she was girl scientist. That was it. That was her job. Yet he survived. Yeah. Okay. He lived. So he was smart in doing and not doing any of those things and living his life superstitious free as much as he could. Yeah, and they didn't give any characteristics. It's like, you know what, we're gonna put this woman to be a you know, this intelligent woman and she's running around the other the other thing about the movie that I didn't like was She's just running around, like, looking into a computer the whole time. Like, she's always on the computer. And I understand this is, like, it's 1997. So computers were, like, the thing. They were, like, oh, computers. You can tell how old the movie is because every, they thought it was a pretty cool thing that you, had to, that you could have a sound effect to denote when something happened. So she had a car crash sound whenever her computer finished working on something. And you would hear the car crash, and she would go, oh, the process is done. It was like, yeah, that's pretty cool. We can put an audio file on that. That's awesome. Computers are amazing. (laughs) (laughs) The good old days. The good old days. They still thought that shit was fun back then. Nowadays, I don't want fucking sounds on my computer. Just tell me the shit's done with a little beep. I don't need you to hear... Fucking Darth Vader breathing or something, whatever, anything happens. That's you, man. I do need, I, I need to hear, like, Michael Myers, like, rustling leaves to the fucking, while he's walking down the sidewalk. Well, I used to have the computer, when, on mine, when you deactivated, it had the thing from 2001, where it was like, Ew. don't deactivate me, my mind is going, Dave, and that as it was going off, so Ew. I had that one. Whoa. He's not allowed to speak of this movie when it's nighttime. It's still light out, so. Bullshit. I mean, it is light out, but I'm now got the heebie-jeebies. And you kind of did like the voice a little bit. I don't like you right now. All right, sorry. But surprisingly for one of these movies, uh, most of the main characters make it. There's not, like, everyone in this movie is very much like a, a slasher thing of, like, Anyone that wasn't in the main credits right after it opened did not make it through this movie. <laughs> Linda Hunt. I mean, Fidelpi Ann Miller, I didn't want her to die. Uh, but Linda Hunt, I also didn't want to die because it's Linda Hunt and she's adorable. Yeah, and, you know, the book, of course, went into more detail. You had a lot more character development and you had, like, a completely different character with uh, Pendergast there. I guess maybe the reason they took that out was because... This was 97, and, like, the X-Files was at its height of popularity back then, and they didn't want to get accused of having, like, an FBI agent that investigates unusual cases, them being a ripoff of the X-Files. But the original book that this was based on came out, like, in 1995, and the X-Files started in 93, so they would have had to been working on that. Like, you know, the book just didn't get written and come out, like, 
a week later. They had to go through a process on that, I'm sure. So they probably started writing the book, I would guess, around the time the X-Files came out. So it was probably a separate thing. You know, just one of those things where people come up with the same ideas at the same time. And they were like, look, we're going to have an FBI guy that investigates weird cases. And, you know, it just so happened that became real popular on TV at the same time. But I guess I can see why the producers didn't want to have the accusations of, oh, they're just ripping off the X-Files, even though it came out close enough at the same time that they really probably weren't. Well, what rating? You have read the novel and you own the novel, which we'll be posting on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, when, what, what rating do you give it? Um, I'm going to give this, a, it's a two and a half knife movie. Okay. It's good. The book itself is, uh, honestly, I would give it between like two and a half and three stars. The book's fine. It just, like I said, it goes into a little more detail and takes place over a longer time period. The creature lived under the museum for years before it came up. It was living like eating homeless people and animals under the museum before it came up and started attacking people in the museum. So it went on a little longer in the book, but they're essentially the same story it's a little time compressed and they removed Pendergast but other than that it's it's not too different uh however at the end of the book you find out that one of the scientists in it saved some of the leaves and he starts manufacturing his own version of the drug to give to people and that's where they have a see the the first sequel to it was called the reliquary and he was giving out the drug to people so they, they built in their sequel right at the end of it, which has a little epilogue where it shows the guy making the drugs. Oh, shit. Yeah, and then, like, the Pendergast books, they go, they run the whole gamut. They, you know, he's chasing, like, evil Nazis, serial killers, all kinds of shit happens in the books. So, he goes all over the place. The uh, audiobooks are kind of fun because you got Rene Auberjonois from Deep Space Nine and tons of other things who reads it. And uh, I think he's done all of them before he passed. All the ones that came out were all read by him. So you kind of get the... When you start listening to him in a row, you really get into like, oh, well, this is what this is Pendergast. This is what he sounds like, you know? Oh, I love him. Well, I also give it... Well, I shouldn't say also because you gave it two and a half. I give it two knives. And I didn't read the novel. <laughs> it's and, not a bad movie. It's not a bad book. It's just... It's one of those things that's kind of... You see it, and you're like, well, that was fine. It's definitely a movie of its time. Yeah. And, I mean, at that time, that would, you know, all those kind of movies. I think I may have my ticket. I'd have to look in my my uh, scrapbook of movie tickets. I think I have the ticket for this film, because I remember very vaguely watching it in the theater, uh, but that was the first and last time I saw the film. So yeah, we actually picked up a copy of it. Strangely enough, at the Dollar Tree, it was a dollar on DVD, and it was I was okay with spending a dollar. Yeah, it was worth every penny. Yeah, if <laughs> if it would have been five dollars, I would have been probably I would have been like, eh, I don't think it's a five dollar movie. One dollar, ching, a great investment for one dollar going into the. Uh, I'm you know maybe this is something that gets shown to. Our daughter, when she's a little older, one of the beginning sci-fi. The starter horror, yeah. Sci-fi Before horror. you show her the fly, maybe you show her this <laughs> I one. Show her this one. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of our novel to scream series slash month. Stay tuned to the horror. And now, folks, it's time to say good night. 
We sincerely appreciate your patronage and hope we've succeeded in bringing you an enjoyable evening of entertainment. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon. Good night.